When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. For more than 10 years, there's been peace. Everyone to his own patch. We've all had it sweet. I've done every single one of you favors in the past. I've put money in all your pockets. I've treated you lot well, even when you was out of order, right? Well, now there's been an eruption. Hello, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. You know how this works is that Mike and I recommend movies to each other. We watch them separately and talk about them on the podcast for the first time. Sometimes it's a movie that we've loved for years but just never talked about. Sometimes it's it's kind of a new discovery. This week, we're going to do The Long Good Friday, 1980, John McKenzie, written by uh, Barry Keefe, or as I like to call it, Harold Shand in The No Good, Very Bad, Horrible Day. Anyway, I'd seen this movie on Criterion. It's still on Criterion. I texted Mike a few times. You've got to see this because I know he likes Bob Hoskins. But Mike had never seen this movie. And Mike just watched it. In part one, we like to talk about our overall impressions of the movie. Mike, go. It's really shocking that I've never seen this movie. This is another one where you'd think this is right up our alley that we we would have seen this 20 times by now and just bring it to our listeners. Um, I get that the universe is technically large enough to hold this movie and season one of The Sopranos, but I kind of feel like this entire movie is season one of The Sopranos, maybe the whole series, but without any of the extraneous nonsense um, that uh, angered so many of The Sopranos viewers. Uh, This is a perfect downward spiral movie um, with the perfect ending to the downward spiral, which is really difficult to pull off. I think it's sort of a spiritual cousin to like a Mikey and Nikki, but without the, without the two man game, if, if a two man game was a very lonely one man game, that's what the long good Friday would be. Um, And it really, it comes together, but it doesn't snap together the way most mystery stories do. They make it fairly obvious if you watch the movie closely, uh, what's happened. And for me, what that told me was that the mystery has nothing to do with what's going on. Uh, Harold's reactions to everything are what's what's going on. The world exists to kind of poke Harold so that he'll make a face. And it, and it goes on like that for like an hour and 40 minutes, but it feels like about five minutes. Um, this This movie feels about as long as the car ride at the end. 
you said it was a spiritual cousin of the Sopranos. I thought it was, it's so funny. I thought it was the spiritual cousin of the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which is the great novel and the great movie with Robert Mitchum about a guy whose like world is kind of spinning out of control and trying to, trying to like, like um, put your finger in enough holes in the, in the dam, but it's going to burst anyway. And that's what we see here. It's, um, you know, it reminds me also of A Matter of Life and Death, the movie which we both love by Powell and Pressburger, right? Hands across the water, hands across the water, like the Americans and the and the Brits coming together to broker a business deal because that was my big takeaway from the film is it's like what it's like to have a bad day at work. I mean, of course, it's, it's hyper-dramatized and it's exciting. And I also... Um, I love what you said about how the mystery of it can be explained. Okay, yes, the guy on the city council got the plans. He's got the, the Irish. They funnel money to the IRA. But when you find that out, it's not supposed to be this like unbelievable revelation, like the end of them, um, like murder on the Orient Express. It, it's about like like you said, it's about Harold's reactions to this day going worse and worse. They drop the mystery long before they drop the conclusion of what goes on to Harold, which is kind of your key as a viewer that it doesn't have a lot to do with the structure of the film. It's just a way of kind of getting the the boat off the land uh, and and onto the water. And back to this idea about how it's a bad day at work. That's what that's what kept coming back to me. So, for example, the whole beginning is the tension of a job interview. You and I have both been on job interviews, right? And how he's waiting. And I love how he's literally showboating in the beginning. He's literally showboating, but he's got to get everything ready. Like, this, do I go up to meet him? What do I do when, when the guy shows up? And it's great that the American who I love, I love the guy that plays the American says like, you know, don't rush me. I don't like tight schedules. And he's got more power than Bob Hoskins does. And the whole movie is about Bob Hoskins. We said trying to like hold on like Tony Soprano, but the whole movie is about these balances of power. So in the beginning, Harold has power over London. You know, he's the king. All my rivals are dead, he says at one point. But then the American has more power over him. Like he says, uh, we're not two jerks out of college. And then the IRA has power over Harold and Harold thinks he knows what's going on. So he has power over Jeff. And then, of course, at the end, he thinks he has the ultimate upper hand only to find out he doesn't. And we'll talk about that in part three. There's so many ways that a script like that can go super wrong. I'll tell you, the screenwriter's first impulse is to be like, let me show you a day in the life of Harold Chand. And let me show you him walk around and how he is with his associates and let him get nervous. And then around halfway into the movie, I'm going to let something go terribly, awfully wrong. And there's so many movies like that that actually never get off the runway or never are. They're not able to push off from land. And the reason is because the viewer doesn't want to see that. The thing that this movie does perfectly is it it just drops you without a parachute into the middle of his conflict. And you are left to reason out exactly who knows what, how close they are to Harold, how much he trusts them, how much power they have. And so you build up a Shand-like intuition because you have to figure out and do a lot of the exposition yourself. Did you just say a Shand-like intuition? That's very good. You just reminded me of what is our favorite long novel that takes place over the course of a single day? Ulysses. Of course. Everybody loves to say, people who haven't read the book, I guess, oh, it's supposed to be a typical day in Leopold Bloom's life. But if you read the book, you know it's not. It's a day where he's walking around in shock because he knows that Blazes Boylan is going to sleep with his wife in the middle of the day. He's trying to not go home. He's trying to keep himself occupied. So it's anything but a typical day. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. You were dropped like the little Google Maps guy onto Harold's world. And I don't need to, I don't need to him to see him walk around and be his usual self. That comes out during the during the movie. And of course, during the movie, he's desperately trying to remain control, right? And he reminded me very much of um Al Swearingen in Deadwood. Have you ever watched Deadwood? 
No. So Deadwood is you know, Ian McShane plays Al Swearingen, who's he, he runs this brothel um, in the West, and he's trying to like maintain control, but he's never happy doing it. And everyone around him drives him crazy. He's constantly rolling his eyes, and his anger is exhilarating to the viewer. And that's kind of what goes on in here. His anger, I think, is exhilarating to us. And I, again, I think that that you would you wouldn't be hard pressed to find a lot of shows uh, that that spread out in their content over time um, that have a lot of the same dynamic. What you would be hard pressed to do is to find somebody uh, that does it in a more beautiful and compressed way uh, that, than this movie, which I start to finish really, it feels like about eight minutes, uh, but and it's just so beautiful in its structure. And to go back to what you said about The Sopranos, you know, a lot of the reasons these miniseries or these these TV shows kind of lose their edge is because, you know, in The Sopranos, we start having whole plot lines just about Paulie Walnuts. And we're like, no, come on, like, get, get back to Tony, get back to Tony. Like, it's about Tony, right? Um, you know, when you watch Godfather 2, it's great, but we don't need to have 20 minutes on Al Neary. Like, you know, you get back to Michael. So. The exception to that, though, was a show that both of us love where the tension is maintained on somebody trying to maintain control over season after season, and it gets worse and worse. And that, of course, is... That's the shield. That's, that's the shield, that's, right? That's just what... That's a one-time exception to the to the rule. I don't I, I don't really know why it is, but um, that is just as tense through seven seasons as this movie is through through an hour. But it, it's, it's like a classic 15-minute film fanatic's example of how if you have less time you have less of a resource for some reason something just gets better welcome back so of course in part two we always do our key scenes or big moments dan why don't you kick it off so mine is when he comes back from the first part of his bad day and helen mir and his wife starts crying and says, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Now, I love this scene for, for two reasons. First, because it's so much like like regular domestic days where like you have a crappy day at work, you come home, and then something happens at home and you're like, okay, now I got this going on. Okay, let me deal with that. And it is a it is a great moment. And you're you're kind of on his side. You want him to calm her down. You totally she's such a good actress, like you totally buy into her fear that she's like, this is for real. Like, I don't want to die. My moment is right when he does that and then he makes a drink and he swirls the ice cubes around to make it cold. That's a great touch. And then he just looks out the window and just thinks. And you wonder what he's thinking. And it struck me that in so many movies, people are able to think on the fly so well and come up with things so quickly and put stuff together so quickly that to keep the plot going, you have to do that. Like you don't want to see Sherlock Holmes walking around for three. Although that's a bad example because he, he actually can do it on the fly. But you know what I mean? Like regular detectives or regular cops or regular criminals. But just that he's there thinking. And it's so rare that we get to see somebody do that in a film where they're, you don't know really know what he's, he's just trying to figure it out. And he can't. He can't put the pieces together. He doesn't look away from the window and say, wait a minute. Wasn't, wasn't the councilman involved with the Irish? Like he just doesn't know what to do. And he just shuts up. And it reminds you of how powerful silence can be from an actor. And I, I think the reason that they don't put those moments in movies is because it's very difficult for actors. It's like, okay, now stand there and act like you're thinking. You know, but, of, and I'm sure we'll talk about this at the end, but Bob Hoskins is one of those actors who has such perfect control over his face that he can make that scene work. So it's not just a, it's not just an unwillingness to write the scene. It's like, well, who if I wrote it, who could do it? 
And you're with him there in that moment as a viewer because you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, who's blowing everything up? And like, you assume because it's taking place in London and that stuff is exploding and it's 1980, you're like, well, it's got to be the IRA. But but even if you know that, it doesn't explain like how they got involved with Harold Shand. So what's your moment? Uh, my moment is when Harold actually did think on the fly and he surprised me, which is they go to make the $75,000 payoff to the IRA. And I, as a viewer, you know, I was caught up in watching this movie the first time. I thought, okay, he's going to pay off the IRA. That's a, that's a, at the that's a smart, track, right? At the, at the, right. At the, race exact, track, at the derby. derby. And I was like, oh, oh, that's a good idea. And then as soon as all the IRA guys are in the same room, his gang busts in and kills them all with a shotgun. And, you know, which is, which is not a double down. That's a quadruple down because I, he's, you know, the, the whole plot has been set in motion by the fact that he, um, one of his henchmen inadvertently annoyed them by stealing like $5,000. So what he's Bellic from Raiders stole the $5,000. Right. So what he's going to do is fake a $75,000 uh, pound payoff and kill four of them. Um, you know, which, which shouldn't ratchet things up, of course. Um, and I honestly, until the shotguns came out, had no idea what he was doing. I enjoyed the Derby scene like everybody else. And I thought that Harold was coming to apologize, but of course he's not. Well, of course, the, the going back to that work metaphor, the movie is about a guy who you think has, or maybe he does, have an out. He's an outdated business model. So when he starts to put things together, he thinks he can take down the IRA. And you know, he's told you, you can't negotiate with them. Like if you kill ten or twenty of them, they just keep coming back. And then someone else says it's not business; they're fanatics. Like you, you have to. And that's why his his you know his um you know his aide de camp or or his Mister Spock that he ends up killing. You know, he was trying to reason with Harold saying, like, I had to give him a name. Something had to happen. I, I didn't know what to do because they're going to keep coming at you because because, um, you know, Colin stole the 5000 pounds and he thinks he can one up that. He's like, no, my business model still works, which is you intimidate them and you blow them away and I'm back on top. And then, of course, he finds out that his business model no longer works. Okay, welcome back. So in part three, we always talk about the title, the ending, or the the key takeaways. We don't often have a lot to say about the title. We do a lot of literal titles. So let's talk about this one. What do you make of The Long Good Friday? Well, other than just, it's a great title. I mean, even if you've never seen the movie, you have to say, that's a pretty good title, right? Well, I, I did a little research on this. I don't know if you know all this. The original title of the film was The Patty Factor. Um, but that was changed because they feared it would give too much away about the plot, like the Patty Factor, right? So they had all these alternate titles. This is like, if you ever read that thing about how they couldn't title Jaws, they didn't know what to call the novel. So they had other titles called Harold's Kingdom. That's terrible. Havoc. That's terrible. And Citadel of Blood. And eventually they came up with The Long Good Friday because it reminded it reminded them of The Long Goodbye, which, you know, a, a book we love. And, you know, the Easter setting and, the long, and there's all this stuff about, you know, about Good Friday, obviously. But my take on it was, if they didn't come up with The Long Good Friday, which is the best title, my suggestion would have been, it's my manner, which is what he says when, when he's told that they're they're pushing into his territory. He's, no, it's my manner. And that's who he thinks he is. He thinks he is to the manner born, like Hamlet. Like, it's mine. Like, I own this. I did all this work. But the, the, the world doesn't care how much you put into your own business. You know, you have a dry cleaners and it's going and you spent 30 years on it. And then a bigger, cheaper dry cleaner opens down the block and you like the universe doesn't care that it's my manner. It's my, it's my strip mall. He doesn't care about any of that. So I think that that's one funny thing about the, the longer Friday is perfect, but I love the phrase. It's my manner. What did you make of the title? I spent one second thinking about the title and I spent the rest of the two hours 
wondering how this guy could have such an elastic, wonderful face. As a thought experiment, even if you've not seen this, like watch the last scene of The Long Good Friday and imagine what the screenplay says. What does the screenplay even say? It just says he sits there. Like how many takes did that take? Well, it was the it's, first scene they filmed, you know, it was the first scene they filmed. I didn't know that. Yeah. And 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 uh, John McKenzie said, I, we're just going to film you. And actually, John McKenzie drove the car. And then uh, we're just going to film you and just sit there. We're going to get your face. And it's perfect. It's like the thinking moment before. And that is such a great, great bit when he's in the car at the end. We've moved on from the title, by the way, in case you should wonder get home. But that's a great bit when he's in the car there, because, of course, he's just... He's just finished the movie in the scene before when he gives the speech to the Americans, right? And he's like, I want someone to contribute to what England has given to the world, you know, culture, sophistication, genius, a little more than a hot dog. He says he's going to work with the Germans, right? And he's like, yeah, the Krauts, they've got ambition, know-how, and they don't lose their bottle. And then he's totally on his high horse. And then, bam, he gets, and then he sees Helen Mirren in the other car. Because, and you think about it, he's done so many of these of these sneak attacks. I think what what happens is that you you find out by the way that he kills those Irish exactly how it is that he climbed to the top. He must yep. have planned more of these, you know, more of these sneak attacks than Macbeth and just killed every single person and what he's his core belief about himself is that it it doesn't matter how crass he is or how slow he is or how many quote smart people he surrounds himself with. He has this immunity to anyone doing the same thing to him. And the punchline is, no, you don't. And that's what he seems to think. He try. It looks like he tries to think his way out of it. And then he's angry and then he's furious. And then he's thinking about grabbing the gun and I might as well do. So. And instead he just sits back and he almost laughs. Yeah. And they almost. end up the almost, the almost laugh. is like, again, imagine that on the screenplay. It's like, Laugh, but don't laugh. <laughs> what do you mean laugh, but don't yeah. laugh? But Bob Hoskins knows how to laugh, but don't laugh. And what that means is this moment in your life rhymes with all the other moments when you were at your happiest. And somehow now you're at your lowest, but it's the same moment. And all that's different is the two feet between being in the driver's seat and being in the back of the car. And the last thing I'll say about that moment is, of course, when he's super quiet at the end, and then the credits come on with that 80s jazz score. I was as quiet as he is. The, didn't the ending shut you up? The 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 ending doesn't allow for he's having so many reactions that what the ending forces you to do is to stop having reactions and watch his reactions, which I think is what so many movie endings get wrong because something is going on on screen and you're having a million reactions and they flip the script, which is Harold's going to have an entire palette of emotion and you're just going to be quiet. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about the Long Good Friday. Find us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could also find us on Letterboxd. And let us know what we should watch next. See you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>